the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Presentations and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, David Repkup of Winston & Strawn on nuclear regulatory issues in the wake of events in Japan. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis Legal Podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. David Repkep is a partner in Winston & Strawn's Washington, D.C. office and represents businesses, utilities, universities, medical practitioners, and trade groups before federal courts and agencies, with an emphasis on regulation of nuclear power, nuclear waste, and radiological materials. Mr. Repka represents and provides advice to clients regarding compliance with the regulations of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission issued under the Atomic Energy Act and National Environmental Policy Act. He's been involved in numerous NRC licensing, compliance, and enforcement matters and has substantial experience with NRC license transfer approvals for nuclear asset transactions. Mr. Repka has extensive NRC administrative hearing experience spanning over two decades, and in the early 1980s, Mr. Repka was a litigation attorney for the United States Nuclear Regulatory Commission, where he represented agency staff in complex nuclear power plant licensing hearings. Mr. Repka, thank you very much for your time and being part of this LexisNexis legal podcast. You're welcome. Glad to be here. We've all seen the footage and read the news about the events in Japan and especially at the uh, Fukushima uh, nuclear facility. Uh, it would seem that th those events suggest that the U.S. nuclear industry and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission will be reviewing lessons learned and, and looking at the safety of nuclear units uh, in, in this country. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's definitely fair to say that this will be something that both the uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the industry will be looking at very carefully from the standpoint of any lessons learned for the NRC program and, and regulatory requirements. I should preface all of this by saying, of course, that as of the recording of this, those events are still in progress and and uh, I'm sure that the first concern of the NRC and of the, of the nuclear industry in the United States is to support that response as, as best they can and, and uh, uh, work with the authorities in Japan and try to get that situation stable and, and under control. Absolutely. But having said that, I think it's, it's very clear that, you know, just uh, in, the, in the last week already, uh, we've had President Obama indicate that he would like the, the NRC to take a, a look at the NRC's regulatory program. Uh, Commissioner Yasko from the NRC has already indicated the, the NRC's intent uh, to do exactly that and look at, look at their regulations and look at lessons learned. Uh, and the nuclear industry through the Nuclear Energy Institute is already uh, committed to take certain actions. So uh, obviously this is an event that has the, has the focus of a, a great deal of people. Are there specific areas of the regulations that will be of particular concern? There are three issues right at the top of the right at the top of the table, so to speak, of, that I'm sure will get lots of focus, both from the from the regulators and the external stakeholders. And the first being uh, the issue of the design for earthquakes, the seismic hazards that the nuclear plants in the United States are, are built to withstand. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, that's something that, that will be looked at closely in Japan, and all indications uh, so far have been that uh, 
the, the earthquake hazard was not the issue uh, causing the, the se sequence of events that have caused the problem, but rather the follow-on of the tsunami. So I think that the, the, the second area of focus will be one of not just tsunami hazards specifically for those plants in the United States that, that uh, are susceptible on coastal regions that might be susceptible to tsunamis, but also uh, floods or other violent weather events are things that I'm, I'm sure the regulators will look at. Um, having said that, again, all plants in the United States are presently designed for not only earthquake hazards, but for tsunami or flood or violent weather hazards that are reasonably anticipated at that particular location. The third area of focus, which follows on from the tsunami, of course, would be the issue of power supplies, both the availability of, of uh, off-site power and the emergency backup diesel generators, which uh, apparently, uh, based on all public appearances to date, uh, the diesel generators were uh, incapacitated by the floodwaters of the tsunami. And uh, so the sufficiency of, of and the location of diesel generators is, is something I'm sure that the regulators will look at. And then even behind the diesel generators, nuclear plants in the United States are designed for what's known as a station blackout event. That would be a loss of all the off-site power as well as the emergency backup diesel generators. Uh, so there is a certain requirement for uh, battery backup capability, and, and I'm sure that's an issue. Again, that the adequacy of that will be looked at. Those are three that just, uh, you know, based on, on, on the obvious, uh, I think will be looked at. And then do you think there are others beyond those three? Yeah, I, th I think there definitely are. I think we've already heard about the you know, potential issues that uh, surrounding the GE Mark I containment design that may or may not have complicated the response to the event that affects a, a number of plants in the United States, certainly not all plants, but there are a number of GE Mark I containments in this country. The issue of spent fuel storage is one that has long been on the on the on the radar screen of not just the industry and the NRC, but various stakeholder groups have been interested in the safety of of um, spent fuel storage in in the so-called wet storage at nuclear plants, given the the increasing density that those pools have been forced to accommodate because of the unavailability of an offsite um, either interim storage or ultimate repository for example, like the Yucca Mountain repository proposed for Nevada. Right. Other, other issues, uh, you know, we understand there have been uh, several hydrogen explosions. Uh, hydrogen is something that's generated because of, from chemical reactions, if any of the fuel is exposed outside of water, is partially uncovered, either in the spent fuel pool or in the reactor. Hydrogen gas is something that can build up and is combustible. It's a chemical reaction, a chemical explosion, something that was a concern at Three Mile Island. And, and in fact, in this country, there were regulations put in place after Three Mile Island for hydrogen control mechanisms to prevent a hydrogen explosion. So again, I think any lessons learned or any additional requirements there is something that, that will be looked at. One of the things that obviously in the last seven or seven days uh, we, we've seen a lot of in Japan is uh, the so-called severe accident mitigation issues, which is once you've got to the place where they've got to, where the core is partially uncovered or spent fuel may be uncovered, in an accident scenario that might not have been anticipated, but one that the plant may be designed to deal with through uh, 
prompt response. Um, mitigation of fires and, and explosions is something that nuclear plants in the United States implemented a, a number of improvements post 9-11 uh, in fear of a potential terrorist attack that would cause a fire or explosion. The measures might involve things like access to equipment or water or um, you know, the means to deliver that to spend fuel pools or, or, or other equipment. And so their procedures were put in place, equipment may be provided, and again, uh, looking at new things that could be done in that arena is something that, that uh, I'm sure the industry is already looking at as part of the commitments they made last week through the NEI to the NRC. Emergency preparedness requirements. We've seen evacuations uh, in Japan. Emergency preparedness regulations were something that were developed in this country following the Three Mile Island accident and some of the confusion and misinformation and conflicting guidance that was given out after that event. And it seems that in, in an evaluation after the fact in Japan, uh, I think we may see lessons learned for the response there uh, and in terms of some of the conflicting information. So, you know, this, this might involve how far out there's planned evacuation planning, uh, what kind of post-accident monitoring capabilities need to be in place, in other words, so you can determine what the levels of radiation are and, and where. I think that there's a, you know, there may be nothing that additional that needs to be done, but again, this, these are areas that I think the regulators will certainly look, look at. And so many things have been impacted by the earthquake, the tsunami, and the resulting events that have taken place. We already have regulations in place in this country, but Based on what's happened, what potential actions might the, the NRC consider both for existing nuclear plants in this country and, and for proposed future reactors? Well, I think that the, um, the NRC has a vast regulatory toolbox, so to speak, of things that they could do, ranging from the, the most severe, which is if there were some problem indicated, obviously they have the authority to shut down a nuclear reactor either temporarily or, or permanently. Uh, I don't think that the agency is at that point yet. They've shown no indication of that, and all assurances from the government have been that the government is confident that the operating nuclear plants in the United States are safe, including for the kinds of uh, events that we've seen in Japan. But that's something that at least temporary Temporary shutdowns were considered and exercised for certain types of reactors after Three Mile Island, so uh, that's something that could be exercised. Perhaps more likely might be something like what occurred after the 9-11 events. The NRC, after a series of top-to-bottom review of security requirements and, and looking at some of the uh, resilience capability of nuclear plants, decided that certain additional compensatory measures would be in order to protect the plants. And so they issued what were called interim compensatory measure orders, imposing upon licensees certain requirements, again, to take steps to try to decrease the potential impacts of plausible terrorist attacks. Other things could be license conditions requiring specific actions. Some of many, many changes were made uh, to nuclear plant designs after Three Mile Island. A lot of those changes were implemented through, through license conditions. The plants were under a license review at the time in the 1980s, and, and so certain requirements for, for retrofits or backfits, as they're known in the nuclear industry, were, were implemented through those kinds of requirements. 
But I think more likely, again, we're, we'll see a series of perhaps information requests to the, to the industry, to the individual licensees in various legal forms, uh, generic communications of lessons learned that might come from special reviews or task forces, uh, and then ultimately perhaps the NRC will consider specific rule changes, which would then go through a regulatory process of uh, proposed rules for comment, comment from the industry and from public stakeholders, and then following that process to impose any new requirements. Would you consider this event a defining moment for the fledgling nuclear renaissance in the U.S.? Well, I think that it's, it's, it's very difficult to predict at this point. I, I think that this will be a significant event. It's certainly brought a public conversation back onto the radar screen, back onto the forefront uh, uh, in the last uh, week or two. That I would thoroughly expect that conversation to continue for some time. Um, having said that, I think that if the regulator operates proactively, if the in industry operates uh, proactively and aggressively to address any specific concerns and to provide information and demonstrate that the kinds of issues and events in, in Japan would be addressed here, I, I think that level of confidence which we were seeing in this country shortly before the, the accident in Japan uh, will return. And I think that I think it's important to recognize that uh, certainly the administration recognizes that right now, that, that energy policy is a hugely important issue. Uh, we've been operating on an energy policy in the United States uh, for, for decades now that essentially is driven only by the market. And if that continues to be the case, then market prices of natural gas and fossil fuels will probably continue to drive energy policy. And those circumstances may be far more defining than anything that's occurred in Japan in the, in, in the last week or two. I guess this just kind of serves as a, a, another reminder to take a look at our own regulations and, and to see if any of them need to be reevaluated. I, and I think that's that's exactly right. And I think certainly the nuclear industry understands the importance of uh, constant improvement, uh, self self assessment, and corrective actions. And uh, learning from operating experiences is part of the regulatory regime already, and I think we'll see that exercised. I think, too, to your point, though, uh, you know, on whether this is defining or not for the future of the nuclear renaissance, I, I would like to add that um, I think it's difficult to look at that question in light of the uh, as a the entire industry or not kind of question. I think that ultimately we are going to see further scrutiny at specific locations and less scrutiny at others. Um, obviously, the Indian Point plant near New York City has already received much attention following the, the event, and I think we'll continue to see that kind of attention. Uh, other plants that are potentially uh, subject to higher seismic risk may receive greater attention than other current plants, or certainly than than other proposed plants that are currently in the licensing process, so it's not a it's not an all or nothing process. It's one that I think it may be a defining moment for some locations more than others. Sure. Talk about some of the questions that are arising from the events in Japan regarding the scope of liability that might follow from it. Well. You know, it's it's fair to say that, that that's going to be a significant issue. Like other nuclear energy 
countries in the world, Japan does have a, a, a sophisticated law on a liability channeling for nuclear accidents. And uh, the, the way that works is it's uh, similar in concept to the way the, the li nuclear liability law works in the United States, but a little different in execution. But it provides for, for strict liability on the operator for off-site damages or public liability, so property damage and, and, and any, any harm to individuals off-site. Um, now, there is a substantial nuclear insurance requirement that the operators must maintain to back up that liability, something on the order of 120 billion yen of insurance that must be maintained. So that would be, translates roughly to $1.5 billion per accident. It certainly seems to raise some questions about whether this is one accident or, or three or four or five accidents, and I certainly don't know the answer to that today. Um, but I also understand that there are some some uh, exclusions in the Japanese law for uh, earthquake and tsunami type events, grave natural disasters. And in th those circumstances, the, a government indemnity would kick in and, and uh, ultimately the government may be liable for some of these, some of the damages. So I think with respect to public offsite liability, one way or the other, as in all nuclear nations, there's going to be laws that assure that that there are funds available to cover that liability. Perhaps a secondary question there is the one of uh, commercial liability for losses of the reactor, the reactors themselves, or other on-site equipment. And uh, um, you know, certainly that's not something that's usually covered by a nuclear liability scheme. It, it would ordinarily be covered by insurance, at least in, in the United States, and by provisions of commercial contract law between the parties, and obviously not being uh, privy to, the, to, to any contracts that the operator in Japan may have with its vendors. Uh, I can't speculate on how that might flow, but, you know, we can recollect that back in, again, following Three Mile Island, you know, there was a lawsuit filed by uh, GPU, uh, which was the owner-operator of Three Mile Island, against B&W, the, um, the, the designer of the reactor involved in that accident. Ultimately, that that lawsuit was was seeking damages uh, and consequential damages for loss of the loss of the reactor and injuries on site, loss of use, replacement power, other damages of that nature, and uh, that case was ultimately settled out of court. So after some period of, of proceeding to trial, so how this unfolds um, remains to be seen. But I think it's uh, an area that uh, certainly the legal community, the the nuclear legal community, will be watching closely. And the insurance community, too, I'm sure. You mentioned insurance, and that's a whole topic we could do a 10-part series of podcasts on, I think. Uh, yeah, I believe that's true. Any final thoughts on the U.S. regulatory implications from the accident in Japan? Again, I, I think it is something that the regulators and the, and the, and the industry will, will be looking at very carefully for lessons learned. Um, I think that... Uh, my focus and my hope in the near term is that uh, the conditions in Japan will will be stabilized as quickly as possible, and uh, you know the re relief efforts can begin to focus on on all of the victims of the the actual victims of the tsunami and the earthquake, and and uh, those are indeed tragic events, and hopefully we won't lose sight of that or focus on that. Absolutely, so many people affected by the events in Japan. Those events certainly having an impact not just uh, 
there, but uh, around the world as well. Mr. Repka, let me thank you very much for your time and helping to uh, lay out some of the issues involved here and to give us uh, your insights on the pregatory implications in this country arising from the events in Japan. Thank you very much for joining us on this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. You're welcome. I appreciate it. David Repka of Winston & Strawn. Thank you for listening to this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Visit the LexisNexis communities at www.lexisnexis.com community. The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast, copyright 2011 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. I'm Steve Burstler. Thank you for listening.